listening to another episode of the Niagara Moon podcast, hosted by myself, Thomas Irwin, um, psychedelic uh, indie pop musician, and uh, as of recently co-hosted by my uh, good friend and uh, psychedelic rock uh, guitar virtuoso extraordinaire, Dan Barracuda. We are talking classic albums and kind of giving our uh, largely uninformed opinions on them. Just kind of hashing it out track by track and, and having a good time. We are talking about a very curious album today from uh, 1986, XTC Skylarking. I am a fan of this album. I just want to say that off the top. I like XTC. We do say some kind of uh, more disparaging things about them here and there. You know, we kind of poke a little fun, but I like this album a lot. And I'm excited to talk about it today, share it with you, and hopefully pique your interest if you've not heard it before. It is a classic, sort of kaleidoscopic pop album of uh, days gone by. Let's get into it. All right, Dan. What album are we talking about today? We're talking about XTC's Skylarking. 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 Do you know what Skylarking means? Uh, no, what does it mean? Uh, I had to look it up, but uh, apparently it's a term for, uh, as they say, mucking about and just fooling around. Cool. Which I think is a very apt title for this album. Dude, this album is 15 songs long. It's long. <laughs> it's a long album. This is it's weird. The version I have is 14 songs, so there's kind of some contra- controversy about this. Right? Like the track list got changed a few times because the song that they did put on it was controversial, dear god. Oh, I w- yeah, dude, the last kind song offended some some Christians. The what you listened to might have been a different album slightly than what I listened to. Is that the only difference, just that song? Because it's at the very end. Uh, it is at the very end. Well, it's not at the... Well, for me, it's at the very end. So I have, the, I have this weird version that I listened to on my iPod that didn't have the song Season Cycle, and it has Dear God at the end after Sacrificial Bonfire. So if there's any Skylarking nerds listening to this, you might already be confused and, and up in arms. But uh, a lot of things going on. There was uh, artwork that was thrown out. There's... A lot of kind of chaos behind this, but uh, it's it's dense. Yes, it's a long album, dude. I had never really heard of XTC. Yeah, they are. They're not that popular in the states overall. I don't know how much more popular they'd be in uh, in Britain. Um, you just nothing like you didn't reckon if you looked them up. Nothing about them was ringing a bell. When you said XTC, uh, my uh, my first reaction was like, "What's XTC?" I never even <laughs> heard of them, dude. Yeah, they're from the seventies. I had no idea. Like yeah. 70s, 80s, 90s. But like they started in like 72. Yeah, they they were around for a long time. I think of them as one of the uh, core like uh, cult bands. Like people who know them are really into them. And and a lot of them are, are musicians who will tell other people, hey, check out XTC. And that's a very kind of wow. small devout group. And then a lot of other people, they have no idea <laughs> what's going on. Yeah, and Todd Rundgren, Run, Rundgren, Rundgren. Oh God, yeah, he 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 produced this album. My brother saw Todd Run. What is it? Todd what? Todd Rundgren. 
That's my best guess. Rundgren. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's Swedish. He, um, my, my brother and his fiance and like and their and their and her family and my parents, everyone except me, pretty much, <laughs> saw Todd Rundgren perform the White Album last year. So that was Ooh. pretty cool. Yeah, in Boston. Now, what do you know about Todd Rundgren? I know that he's crazy. Like he's really <laughs> wild. And, and and the footage that like the like the iPhone footage, you know, the video footage that my brother took and he showed me, I was like, that guy's a wild man, man. <laughs> <laughs> the songs he wanted to sing off the White Album, and I know he's like a '70s kind of you know musician, and he has a he has a very he has a couple very famous songs that I can't yeah. remember right now. He does, yeah. I covered uh, one of them yesterday actually for my uh, live stream. Which one? Uh, Hello, it's me. Hello, it's me. Yeah. Um, and then the other big hit I think is uh, I saw the light. Uh, I saw the light. Is that it? That's a good yeah. one. Yeah, he uh, did. You know, he also produced uh, "Bad Out of Hell," the Meatloaf album. Oh no, I didn't know that. Uh, he produced an album by the band. Oh okay. Yeah, so he's been around. He's been yeah. around. He's done a lot of different diverse stuff. Household name. So Skylarking is XTC meets Todd Rundgren behind the mixing desk. Todd Rundgren also plays that. Uh, what do you call it? Melodica. In the the first song, the album intro, oh. uh, "Summer's Cauldron." Summer's Cauldron. That's Todd Rundgren playing that. So definitely, cool. he has his mark on it too, which is a defining trait of this album. It's an album that is very foreign to you, a band that's foreign to you. Super, yeah. And you went into this by just playing track one on Skylarking. Yep. I, I I listened to both while I was on a run, actually, and the first nice. time I just gave it like a, a full listen, and then the second time, I actually t- I do I took notes while I was running and listening to it, and it actually made the run go by super quickly. I actually really liked it. It was weird though because I was like you know texting you know not but I was like writing my notepad right, right. Uh, while running, uh, but I'm glad I did it because I. You know, I'm looking at my notes right now, and I'm I'm just grateful that I have all these notes to to refer to. And now I can talk about each song. You know, I can like back to the yeah. refresher. Crazy dude, crazy, very synth heavy. Like I I wanted to ask you, I, I didn't I didn't look it up, but like, what's the lineup in the band? Is there one guitarist and like two synth play, like two key players? Like, so their lineup uh, kind of changed over the the course of the band's uh, career. I think they started out on a lot of their formational albums was like four piece two guitarist bassist drummer and um there's two main songwriters in the group which is uh andy partridge and then colin molding is the bass player and uh coincidentally this album skylarking has the most colin molding songs out of any album has five total usually there's just like a couple per album but they're often like the best songs so it's those two guys are kind of like the core in my mind, Andrew Partridge. The and, singer. Yeah, and the Partridge bass. usually plays uh, guitar and he sings. Colin sings uh, his own songs usually and he's a bass player. And then you got, uh, what's the third dude's name? Dave Gregory, who is kind of the young, unsung hero a little bit. He He's uh, kind of like the George Harrison in the group. Like he, he's kind of the go-to guitar guy more often. Um, but I guess he also sings too. So they all sing. They used to have a drummer. I forget the drummer's name, but the drummer left uh, like a few albums before this one. So at this point, it was like these three dudes, uh, Andy, Colin, and Dave. Wait, they all sing, but there's one yeah, lead An- singer, Andy though, right? Andy Partridge 
sings uh, most of the songs and he writes most of the songs, but Colin sings uh, most of the songs he writes, but their voices are also very similar. I think. Wait, I dude, I did not notice a difference in lead singers <laughs> in this. <laughs> and album. They both have wait, that. Wait, what, what's like so- Southwest what English accent? So I'll give what you an song? example. Yeah. Burning even summer's cauldron. That's Andy. Yeah. That's su- super super girl is also Andy. The meeting play. Dun, 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 dun. That's yep. Colin. Yep. That's Colin. Yeah, but they're very similar. Jesus, dude. I thought, wow, I thought that was the same person the whole time. Big day come and big day go. That's Colin. That, that's Colin. Yeah. Big day come and big day go. Life goes on. Wow. Well, I, okay. I have a friend who has trouble telling uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney's vocals apart, so... No, that's crazy to me. Yeah. Well, I gave him kind of a hard uh, time about it. So. <laughs> dude, but but this album is like super synth heavy. Like the guitar really yeah. takes a backseat on this album. On this, there's one. a lot of arrangement experimentation going on, and yeah, they had they had several different synths and keyboards, and that definitely is a feature of this album compared to some others. Especially their their early stuff is basically like new wave and punk, and. Um, they kind of moved away from that, but still kept a very guitar-centric approach. This is where they really branched out with a lot of different kind of instruments and sequencers and stuff, for sure. Is this your favorite album of them by far? This is up there, um, and I certainly see why this is regarded as their best, generally, or this is like a good intro album for them. But I personally like the one after this uh, a little bit more, Oranges and Lemons. This is from 86. This is from 86, and uh, the next XC- XTC album was like, uh, I think, 89. Um, and I like that one just a little bit more. I, I just happen to like some of the songs more, and they stick with me a little bit. And uh, it's it's funkier, and it's got like an East Asian influence, which is also very wow. interesting. There's uh, They have like tablas in one song, so like a South, a- South Asian influence in there too. I love tablas. It's uh, it's it's weird like this album and and diverse, but just kind of like takes it in like a kind of '80s funk key, keyboard direction a little bit more too, which I which I like. But yeah, this is a very um, this this kind of showcases a lot of the their uh, strengths in a in a very good way. Do you think that they just do you think that they, that they they've never had like a massive hit? Is that why they're not like super? They don't have like a yeah. Huge... Well, they never had a massive hit, but they it wasn't like they didn't sell. Like uh, making plans for Nigel is one of their biggest songs. That's an early one, and um, I mean you're not going to hear that everywhere. But like I've heard that just like randomly on the radio in this country, and uh, oh, that okay. kind of like got them to a certain status. They have like singles that did well, but they don't have like an inescapable song in particular. By any means, okay. they're they're too clever. Too clever, I think. They're they're too heady. This album is so interesting, dude. Like, I think the 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 last third is yeah. so different from the first two thirds of the album. It's yeah. so it's so much more experimental. It's so much more progressive. I was like, really, like, wow. In my notes, I'm like, Jesus, wow, another like this. Is, is, and I was like, it seems to be the case that this like the last third of this album is just getting like more and more experimental yeah psychedelic oh yeah uh mermaid smiled 
uh, is a song that kind of sticks out to me in particular for that. That's the one with like the really fast, uh, like jazzy guitar and like vibraphone intro, like like. I wrote for Mermaid Smile. I wrote cool percussion going on here. Weird song name, haha. <laughs> catchy vocal, catchy vocal lines. He sounds really good here. Some songs fit his voice super well. Yeah, definitely one of the more experimental songs. I, I definitely appreciated that. Yeah, they. You really get the feeling that they're going into the studio and they're very probably clinical and organized and focused with how they write a song. They have the the words and the melody, but then they probably like go ham with with trying all these different crazy ideas to like get to the final products. Like they, there's a lot of tinkering, a lot of like studio magic going on, or just like experiment studio experimentation. Yeah, yeah, the it runs the gamut, and I feel like every every moment they're like, we want to break away from whatever the cliche is, and we want to try something new here. It's a very kind of Beatles philosophy. Dude, so many so, some of these songs are super Beatlesy. One yeah. of them, I, I I wrote like, wow, 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 wow. This sounds so much like a Beatles song. Which I mean, I'll I'll right? call them the Beatles of the '80s. I don't I don't think there's another band around this time that comes close. Big day. It's big day. Big day. Yeah. I was like, I like the psychedelic edge big here. Day. It reminds me. Of, it reminds me of Donovan. It reminded me of Donovan or Rain. 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 Is it? Yes. Rhythm change at the end of the chorus is really cool. Love can come yeah. and love can go. The way he says go reminds me of like 60s vocals. Go. Super Beatlesy. Paperback rider, rubber soul. Yeah. So it's interesting you bring this up because what they did right before this and right after this album was under a different name. And uh, they call themselves the Dukes of Stratosphere. And they did that because they were, or at least Andy was like, I'm getting really into 60s psychedelic music to the point where I just kind of want to emulate it. And that's like the thing we do. Uh, Let's make it a side project. Let's call it something else. And like, let's make that the whole theme. Like this is like an undiscovered band from that era. Like it's kind of a concept. Sergeant Peppers. Yeah, basically. And that project ended up selling way more, was way more successful than the main band itself. Are you serious? Yeah. Did they do covers? Was it all covers or was it original stuff? It was originals, but like originals that sound like covers. So they were wow. firmly in 60s psychedelic mode at this point in their career, especially. Big day come and big day go. Taxman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's like what it sounded like. Exactly. It's like big day. And Todd Rundgren is <laughs> coming in to produce them. Uh, Sometime either shortly before or after this album, he had a collection of songs, like covers, like he covers Strawberry Fields and also records it in a way to like copy the original as much as possible, but doing it like 15 years later. So Todd Rundgren is also the super nerdy, like 60s music devotee too. So it's that energy was running rampant when they were, when they were making this. Wow. Okay. Dude, yeah, I was like, he kind of sounds like a little goofy version of the Tears for Fears singer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, so you were saying you when you started this, his vocals were like a little bit of a hurdle to get over for you. 
A little bit, yeah. Yeah, at first. Andy Partridge's. Yeah. But I but I appreciate it a lot in like the last five songs. Yeah. They're not they're not kind of yelling as much. Yeah, they're less like poppy and more like experimental, so his voice kind of fits the experimental vibe of it, yeah. I think. Dude, the man who sailed around his soul. Man I was like, I said, sailed around his yeah, soul. I wrote. I wrote. Sounds like a completely different band here. Moon dance <laughs> vibe. Sounds like Van. <laughs> Van sounds like Van Morrison, dude. It sounds like Moon yeah. dance. It sounds like prog jazz. Well, he said he wanted to like channel like Bobby Darin. Like somewhere beyond oh, the sea, yeah. like that kind of. This one is very different yeah. from their other songs. It really sounds like a different band. Yeah, I appreciated that. That was cool. Mermaid smiled, dying. Yeah, I, I I agree that this part of the this section of the album you're talking about kind of is one of my favorites. Now that I'm thinking about it, dying starts off like a campfire. Cool chords going on. Heard some nice suspensions with yeah. the strumming acoustics. Don't want to die like you. This also feels super yeah. different from the other songs. Is that a synth flute at the end? Uh, so dying in particular is like I can sort of hear part of it in my head, but it it's like I'll listen to it and enjoy it, but it's not sticking with me. Like I can't. I've heard this album a bunch, and I can't just I can't okay. conjure up what that song sounds like for some reason. It was a cool short song, one of my favorites, just because yeah. it was so different. I mean, it's somber. I'm I'm uh, I'm assuming. Yeah. Sacrificial Bonfire, you mentioned that earlier. I like these sounds of percussion. Sacrificial yeah. Bonfire. That snare roll coming in when he says Sacrificial Bonfire was awesome. <laughs> Again, I wrote the songs more experimental, yeah. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the drums. It's uh, Part of this is like 80s drum sequences, and then they also uh, brought in a drum. I guess they recorded in San Francisco for part of this and, and brought in like a guest drummer because they didn't have their own drummer Why? at this point. Left? Uh, because the the old drummer left and they didn't replace him. So they were just kind of like floating. Because, you know, they, they a big part of their career, they weren't touring. They stopped performing I live. Did, I did notice that. A la Beatles. Yeah, a la Beatles, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, uh, I think it was, I mean, the story's been told before better, but like Andy Partridge uh, had kind of like a mental breakdown after coming off like a Valium addiction. Wow. And then... That might have been some stage fright stuff going on. And then he also like just got sick of the touring lifestyle. There's like an inter interview where he's like, you know, he's performing for the umpteenth time, some obscure city in Europe. And he's like, I'd like to own a table. I'd like to know that I own a table and can like sit at the table. I don't have that right now. So they're, they're very kind of home, homebodies, or at least he was, I think, wow. past a certain point. I think that also because they, they don't have a stable drummer, they're not worrying about performing these songs live. All the more reason to just like go to all these crazy different directions, song to song, um, because it's all in the the context of this album, this recording, and they're not, uh, you know, rehearsing these songs a million times afterward to go on tour with or something. Yeah, and one thing I noticed was how smoothly the songs transition transition into each other. Again, I was running, dude, and I I was I was yeah. writing notes for Summer's Cauldron. I was like, "Wow, I really like that change." Like I, and then I was like, "Wait, this is grass. This is this oh, is yeah. the next song." <laughs> you know, that I love that, that change. That happened yeah. like twice. It just explodes. Yeah. I thought it was gr I thought it was Summer's Cauldron. <laughs> some of the some of the lyrics were a little goofy for me. Like, "You play hard to get oh, cuz yeah. your teacher's pet <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, if we're if we're gonna prematurely get into kind of uh, some some downsides of this album, a lot of the lyrics don't really stick with me that much. It's like I'll listen to the song three times, and what are they singing about, or what are the like? It just still goes over my head for some reason. That's really super, super girl. <laughs> super good. Yeah, it's like it's 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 like it sounds like somebody who loves crossword puzzles or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's very. Uh, yeah, it's his. So I, I'm ultimately a, an Andy Partridge fan, and I think he's done a, a lot of wonderful, different kind of things musically. Sometimes his persona is a little sniveling to me, or a little like pretentious, or too heady, or. Early on, before I really decided I liked XTC, the vocals were kind of a hurdle for me too. Like, yeah, just makes me imagine some like kind of dweeby guy with like really flushed cheeks. And, like, on and... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, he's got a. So there is a little bit of that. He sounds like the guy from Tears for Fears. I can't hold you now. If you want to fly. But, but, but yeah, goofier, but goofier. <laughs> yeah. He's very goofy. They're not. They're an awesome band, and I really do like this album. They're not very cool. Not very cool. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, but no, still, no shade front thrown. Like I, I would go see them if they. They're never going to perform live again. But if they did, like they're not. That I would be are into they, that. Are they, they're, they're not even active right now. Or? They're not active. Uh, they split up long ago and had tons of issues with their label and eventually some, some personal stuff. And they really mismanaged their finances and had terrible management and like the whole thing, like they, they screwed it all up. Um, but they, they have a great body of music at least. Yep. Jeez. But yeah, they're, they're like, I would consider myself a, a fan. I appreciate a lot of, of their songs, and their albums. Like they have a really cool body of work, but they are, there is a little bit of that wall of kind of like British dweebiness is the yeah. best way I can put it. The meeting place, super, I wrote super Beatlesy with vocal movement. The meeting place. Yeah, so Beatlesy. Yeah. Nice melodies. Major seventh yeah. harmonies was nice. The, oh, yeah, the bass. The bass on this album is awesome. Yeah, Colin Moulding, one of the best bassists. He is. Of, uh, of British, British rock, yeah. Great foundation in the songs. Super nice tone. Yeah. Works well for the production. So you should check out their next album, Oranges and Lemons. Check out the first song on that album, Mayor of Simpleton, has like the best bass line of any XTC song. It's so fast and so like chromatically weird, but like perfect. Like wow. you would definitely get a kick out of that, I think. Cool. Yeah, he's he's a great unsung hero of uh, of bass playing. What's the album called? The next album? Oranges and Lemons. Who's singing that's really super, super girl? Who's singing yeah. that? That's Andy. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's Andy Partridge at work there. That's got some weird keyboard stuff going on. That I one. wrote that. I was like, guitar really takes a back seat here. Do they have two keyboardists? Like, is it so? It was so keyboard heavy. Lyrics, lyrics a little on the cheesy side. I wrote lyrics a little on the on the cheesy side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll I'll go with you there. Um, I'm looking at the credits now. Apparently, it's saying just Dave Gregory. The third guy was responsible for piano and synthesizers, so he might really be the unsung hero of this album wow. if he was the main contributor. Todd Rundgren probably did some of that stuff as well since he's a big keyboard guy. There's This is dense. Like This is a music nerds album, mm -hmm. I think. This is like level 10 of being into weird pop music. Like You have to like 
go through some other albums to really like yeah. start digging this. I feel like ballet for a rainy day. I said super. I said I said it sounds like wings. Very Paul-like. Very Paul. Ballet for a rainy day. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. And the end sounds like Glass Onion, but I was wrong because that was actually A Thousand Umbrellas. Yes. Totally Glass Onion rip-off, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a blender. One thousand umbrellas. I love the the string arrangement there. Yeah, it's there. nice. See, that's what Todd Rundgren brought to the table, is bringing in strings like that and setting that up, George, a la George Martin. Like the the strings and what's going on with that in a song like A Thousand Umbrellas. Wow. The misery, misery. The misery. It's a misery. Is, is that, is that, <laughs> yeah. is that Andy? That's Colin. Or not Colin, I'm sorry, that, that's Andy Partridge. Andy Partridge is the more kind of whiny one. I was like, boldest vocal, boldest vocal yet, dude. <laughs> misery, oh, misery. <laughs> Ray. Yeah. Sounds so much like Last Onion, very cool. I, I just like that, I like the acoustic strumming with the strings. Like, I, th- I thought that was cool. It's yeah, a good texture. Yeah. Good juxtaposition. It's it's like all of these. There's no real lapses in this album. Like every song has these little pockets of just super catchiness. Yeah. Like even if I don't remember the whole song, it'll have a part that's just like stuck in my head for days afterward. Yeah. And then there's it really doesn't miss a beat. Like it's each song is like bringing something new, but like building off of what came before. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really is strong in that way. Season cycle. Season cycle is the one I don't know that well because for whatever reason I have Dear God instead of that. Oh, okay. Did you have Dear God? Yeah. Do you know that yeah. song? Okay. All right. So you had both then. But that the that's the one that's kind of Beach Boysy. I said very Paul like, heavily melodic, catchy lines. Guitar really takes mm. a back seat. Do 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 sound yeah. like feeling groovy from Paul Simon and Garfunkel. Mm. Yeah, it was kind of like do 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 do. It kind of sounded like feeling groovy. This I, I said this yeah, song yeah. is like their good day sunshine. Ah, yeah. Earn enough for us. Hurtful comments from the bo- from the boss. <laughs> Some of the lyrics. <laughs> well, that that's based on real life. Uh, it's Andy Partridge uh, talking about like one of his earliest jobs. Like the boss would suddenly storm in the store and say horribly mean personal insults and just like walk storm out or something listen i can't earn enough for us (laughs) (laughs) bass is sick halfway through it sounds a lot like rain bass line yeah 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 for sure now when you listen to this either the the first or the second time like did you get the feeling that it was at all like a concept album um no because you you were talking about how the songs like flow into each other yeah that was mainly like in the first like six or seven songs that i got that but i, I yeah. didn't see that like lyrically it it, it just kind of seemed like all over the place like lyrically yeah so that the it's supposed to be a loose concept album uh depicting a cycle and that could be the cycle of a day from like morning till night which I feel is like from Summer's Cauldron to Sacrificial Bonfire, I feel like that kind of works. So yep. it's like 
a cycle of a season. So that's why you have a song like season cycle in there, or it could be like a lifetime, like birth and then death. And gotcha. Rebirth. Skylarking, just mucking around throughout life. So I think that's another real strength of this album is even though that's kind of just a loose, like anybody can buy in at any level with that sort of idea. Yeah. They have all these wonderful abrupt transitions that still flow so well. And I feel like that's also uh, Todd Rundgren making the band focus a little bit more. Cool. Yeah. I like the psychedelic elements in it. And like there, it's definitely evident that a lot of work was put into it. You know, I like that. It's very, it's very colorful. Oh, a huge, huge palette of colors here. Yeah. So yeah, there were some guitar solos and it, it was cool. Like what I heard. But you said this is like definitely their most synthy album, right? Yeah, this or uh, Oranges and Lemons has has a lot of kind of fancy keyboard and like drum sequencing stuff too. The, I mean, this is definitely nowhere near as much rock as uh, they have an album Black Sea, or uh, like I said, their whole first part of their career was kind of like new wave new wave punk stuff, and that's just pure guitars. Um, so they they were really kind of starting to break away from that and getting getting more symphonic, which I'm I'm always going to be in favor of. That's just my taste. Cool. Another satellite. Real interesting chords here. Based us so much. Yeah. Yeah. Another satellite has that really weird eighty synth sound too. Yeah, I don't think it had any guitar that that song. And it kind of reminds me though, like that weird synth drone. It kind of reminds me of like. I mean, if you've ever played Mario Party, if you run into the genie. Okay. It's supposed to be like vaguely Eastern yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah. Like I just get a very like Nintendo yeah, soundtrack vibe yeah. from that. <laughs> Mermaid Smile was great. Yeah, I mean, I really like the last third. Dear mm. God is crazy, dude. Yeah, the, so that's the one where the lyrics really do stand out for me. Like, I think that is deservedly yeah. clever. And who's singing? Is that one of their sons? That's that's Andy. That's Andy Partridge. Yeah, it's his son. What's that? Who, who's? Oh no! Oh, you mean who's singing at the beginning? Yeah. And the uh, end. That is and the very end. I don't think that's a family member of anybody, but that is a child. Which mm-hmm. I don't know whose idea that was. That might have been uh, Rungrens, but genius to like have a song kick off with like a pre-adolescent child <laughs> singing these very and, heavy... And then when Andy comes in, when Andy comes in, it's it's just it's a cool moment. Changing yeah. singers was cool. A really nice difference. Well, the bass has a lot of yeah, chorus. Really oh, yeah, the bass had a lot touch. of chorus in it. It sounds really cool here. Strings are really cool. And then I wrote, it's official. Yeah. The songs in the last third of this album are the best that I enjoy the most. The very psychedelic and more daring. Singer sounds damn good when this song gets intense. Kid sings again. Damn. Nice. They kind of, they go from like kind of breezy and sunny and there's like lots of these bug sounds. It's like you're outside and, and the sun's coming in and then it, it kind of like gets deeper and darker as you like get to that, that last third, I feel like. It's talking about like existential despair and man who sailed around his soul or it's, it's talking about death and dying Dear God. or uh, casting out evil and, and bringing the new on, on Sacrificial Bonfire. They, they transition to that kind of kind of heaviness really smoothly i think yeah pitch four gave it a 9.3 that's how you know it's good (laughs) like i said this is a music nerds album big time like it was made by a bunch of guys who get really excited talking about 
60s psychedelic music like we do. And they're just like, yeah, let me like take this idea and I'll, I'll like remix it this way or yeah, like I, I'm inspired by this particular song and I'll kind of like shift it around or you could do this chord sequence, but if you change a thing at the end, it becomes like, these are very much guys who like talk shop. That's awesome. I mean, what, what kind of happened was, like I said, the, the Dukes of Stratosphere side project just unexpected, unexpectedly did so much better than how their recent run under XTC had, had gone. And like uh, the last XTC album before this one, Big Express, had had a lot of uh, criticism, and I kind of like it. Like, there's some good songs and some good moments on it, but it's it really lacks dynamics and it lacks sonic variation, and it's really cluttered and really flat. Like, just too many ideas, and they're all like getting in each other's way. And it's like it's the sound of somebody who just has like too much freedom, and it's like I got to get everything in here. Okay, um, and that's someone being Andy Partridge. <laughs> so. I think the label is like, hey, we you got to get out of this rut. Like, does you're taking too much control over this. this isn't working out. And he chose Todd Rundgren to come in because he was the only name that he recognized out of all the people that the label suggested. Wow. Because Todd Rundgren has like his own solo music career, so he's like, oh, this guy, whatever. Okay. So then they went to uh, Todd's uh, Woodstock, New York studio in the spring, and uh, I think. There was a ton of tensions. I don't know how much you know about that. No. Like Todd and, and Andy not getting along. Really? Very when well they started working together? Yeah. That's kind of when people talk about this album, that's like uh, most of the lore about it is is uh, the disagreements Todd and, and Andy were having and just how they were kind of their personalities were super rubbing against each other. Wow. Based on what I, you know, I enjoy his music and then based on the footage I've seen of the guy, he's, he's very funny and he's charming. Andy Partridge is. But I can definitely see that he'd be difficult to work with and very much like a control freak and probably like kind of annoying and sarcastic and just difficult. And then Todd Rundgren is totally also that way. Like Todd Rundgren is a lot of people (laughs) have had personality issues with him over the years working with him. Like he's a super sarcastic dude. Wow. Who just does not take crap and is not very diplomatic. So you just have like two of those kind of guys just like, at each other's throats. Dude, that's crazy. And the Dear God controversy you mentioned earlier, too? Yeah, that, I don't know if that, that probably hindered the uh, album's success for them. Because that would have been, that's the, the, one of the, the tracks you want in there. I think they had to take it off and make it a single. Early, early sales were hampered by the omission of Dear God from the album's original pressings. It was left off because Jeremy Lascelles was concerned about the album's length and advised that the song may upset American audiences. Yeah. Partridge recalled, I reluctantly agreed because I thought I hadn't written a song strong enough to take on religion. I thought I'd kind of failed. Rud- Rundgren mm. had a different recollection and said that Partridge demanded that the song be pulled because, quote-unquote, he was afraid that there would be repercussions personally for him taking on such a thorny subject. I called them and said... Yeah, that sounds more like the truth to me. Yeah. It's like the Beatles were bigger than Jesus comment all over again. Wow. The meeting play. (laughs) Big tax man. (laughs) So Rundgren did not produce the next album. No, this is a one and done deal. Like, I, I... he kind of came in out of necessity or perceived necessity 
And then, you know, that this had some success for them and they were like, right back to the way we like to do things. And, but I think the experience also helped them break out of the rut, even when Andy Partridge was calling the shots. Um, cause like I said, oranges and lemons is probably my favorite album of theirs. And even the next two after this are still pretty good. Like they go on a little too long and need some, some filtering and some editing, but like they, they still like, they had the touch. I feel like, uh, none such is a good album. Yeah, like Partridge characterized Rundgren's musical preferences as "quote unquote" completely contradictory to mine. <laughs> For instance, suggesting a fuzz guitar overdub where Rundgren wanted a mandolin. <laughs> so that's what I mean. Is they got away from the guitar-centric stuff, which just got sonically like exhausting. You got Rundgren coming in with uh, the acoustic instruments, with, which I think really helped this album. According to Rundgren, essentially it was kind of preordained by me what the record was going to be, which was something they never endured before. I think Colin and Dave trusted me, but Andy never did. Andy wanted to call the shots. Todd and Andy were like chalk and cheese as personalities. They didn't hit it off from the start. <laughs> Things just went from bad to worse. So if I have to pick one, I'm I'm still team Andy. He's he's more of a likable character to Is me he? than Todd. Yeah, because I, I heard a uh, an interview just a couple of years ago with Todd Rundgren and he's still like just like hurling insults at Andrew Partridge like just to wait as he remembered Todd Todd asked how how you were going to do the vocals and how you and you would stand in front of the mic and do one run though to clear your throat and he'd say that was crap I'll come down and I'll record me singing it and you can have me in your headphones to sing along too (laughs) but that's the same kind of crap he pulled with all these other bands like he did that with the band. He did that he's, with the band? He's an instigator. Todd Rundgren, yeah, he's an instigator. He gets under people's skin. Wow. Man, it'd be fun to be a producer. Yeah, it's like I, I was reading the story of this and just like they can just throw $150,000 at a band that's not doing that well to like <laughs> nobody gets $150,000 for anything anymore. Anymore. Bands yeah. at least. It's such a, it's such a different uh, scenario. Oh, man. Partridge became known for being difficult to work with. Yep. Or Rungan, rather. Both of them, just friction, man. Yeah. But that just, it, it becomes just a kind of a cool, interesting story because the music is so successful. They, they just on paper, they work together wonderfully. Like, to a lot of people, this is by far and away the, the best thing they ever did. It's, it's their ninth album. Yeah. Studio album. Andy Partridge in particular, he just kept churning out songs. Like there wouldn't be a necessarily a need to like start the next album yet, or if it was advisable for the career of the band or whatever. But he just couldn't stop. He, I got a, I got another song. I got another song. He was compulsive. Yeah. So drum. It said Rundgren played a large role in the album sound design and drum programming, providing the band with orchestral arrangements and an assortment of gear. So uh, are yeah. they fake drums? I know you said they they got that drummer from San Francisco, but like there's. Some songs that are drum machine and some where they brought in a session drummer. And I think that that session uh, didn't happen at uh, Woodstock at Todd's studio that they went over to San Francisco to like finish it off or something. It kind of got split up. So you you said you like the third section, like the, the third part kind of the most. Do you, do you have a favorite song? Or a favorite moment, or I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know about favorite song quite yet. 
The song is a lot more experimental. Yeah, Sacrificial Bonfire. I like Dying. I like Sacrificial Bonfire. Yeah. Mermaid Smile was good. And Dear God was crazy. Dear God was like, whoa. You know, I was like, last, last. Dear God is a standout. Standout like crazy. How about you? Do you have a favorite song? I mean, Dear God, just isolated, is kind of like the strongest example of songwriting maybe. But uh, I'm kind of with you on um, Mermaid Smiled. Uh, I do quite like Man Has Sailed Around His Soul. And then for me, like a, a lot of the impact of this album is is Summer's Cauldron going into grass, like that whole yeah. opening part too. It's a good opening too. track. Summer's Cauldron. Yeah. And then when the piano kicks in, in the midsection. Dun, 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 dun. Yep, yeah. Yeah. He really sounds that. like the guy with Tears of Fears. Welcome to your life. Dude, it kind of reminded me of like U2. Yeah. Like the music reminded me of U2. Okay. Just like big production, clean production, a lot of synth going on, textures, mm. major, major key, you know, like bright. Yeah. Open sounds. Kind yeah. of, it sounds like expansive. YouTube. Expansive, yeah. Yeah. Great production, though. Well, yeah. This is this isn't in like my top twenty albums of all time or whatever. I wouldn't quite go that far with it, but it is. It's very strong. And, yeah, it was um, cool. It was cool to hear, man. It was like like we said earlier, very colorful, very colorful. Yeah. A lot of work put into it. You know, they really yep. go. It's like a bunch of different worlds, and they really go to these to to these worlds that are pretty different from each other. They they cram a lot in, like a lot of ideas in, but this time they they successfully don't overdo it either. It's like if you're in the right mood and you're the, a certain kind of listener, like you know, you're in more often than not. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was it was cool to uh, to introduce this this album to an XTC newbie. Yeah, yeah. The second the second listen was like felt like a lot better than the first listen. The second listen is really important. It's kind of like when you watch a movie. The second viewing is different mm. from the first. It is. Yeah, it is. It's a whole different context. I feel like with some music you need that. Like with XTC, I almost consider the first listen just it's like breaking in my earphones. Like I'm not. I'm, I I can't. I can barely like appreciate it but once i have like sort of a tactile sense of it like i'm ready to dive in at like listen two or listen three radiohead's kind of that way too dude yeah like you can't take it in the first time you gotta like acclimate yourself and then you're ready uh it's like it's totally like that i I think all my favorite music is kind of like that um well cool man glad to hear you're uh you're a fan um If you find yourself curious, definitely check out some of their their other albums. The next album, yeah. Oranges and Lemons. a lot of other songs like this. Thanks for showing me it, dude. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, man. Till next time. Okay, that's it. That was fun. At least for for me and Dan. I don't know uh, about you, listener, but hopefully you uh, got a kick out of that as well. Pretty much just wrap it up here, but if you want to support the podcast, it's always awesome to leave a rating or review, particularly on iTunes, but uh, anywhere else as well. I don't know where people listen to podcasts these days. Subscribe, 
and, uh, you know, give us some, some good feedback. And uh, otherwise, if you want to check out more about myself, uh, I do uh, Baroque Bedroom Pop at NiagaraMoonMusic.com. And you can find Dan at DanBarracuda.com. He also does really cool uh, mixing and mastering services. He's just an all-around uh, studio ace. And uh, that's it for this week. I will see you guys later.